Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Henry was uh, moving this week into his house and uh, called me last week and uh, asked me would I, would I preach. And uh, as always, I said, absolutely, I'd be glad to do that. But I'm going to start out this morning doing something a little bit different than I've ever done before. So I need you to stick with me for just a second. Um, I have always been fascinated with the human brain. And I think the reason for that is because I've spent my whole career working with computers and, and, and writing code for computers. And I know how hard it is and how complex it is to write a computer program to make a computer do what you want it to do. And yet the fact is we've got this gray blob in our skull that's better than any computer that a man can come up with. And the intelligence that it took to create this is just so far off the charts that we can't even comprehend it. And that's always just fascinated me. And, uh, but another thing about the brain that's interested me is that as smart as it is, that as intelligent as it is, and as advanced as it is, it can be very simply sometimes easily fooled into seeing something that's not really there. Now, I thought this morning I would start with an example. So I brought this, this cup from home, and this is just something out of our pantry, and it doesn't have any strings or wires or anything like that on it. And what I want to do is I want to see if I can make this cup float, okay, right in front of you. Now, again, I'm not a magician or illusionist or anything, so I'm, I'm sure I'm pretty bad at it, but I just want to try to give this a try. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold this really carefully here, and then I'm very carefully going to let it go. And we're going to see if we can make this cup float right in front of your eyes. Everybody got that? Everybody seeing that? Now, I, I, I figured, you know, I'm going to try this, and I'm probably going to get several reactions. First one, my wife is probably mortified right about now. <laughs> my parents are wondering where they went wrong. Pastor Henry, who gave me his pulpit, pulpit to preach, is saying, thinking what a mistake he's probably made. Some of you are looking at this and saying, that's just the worst trick I've ever seen in my life. And then some of you, the gullible ones, are thinking, how's he doing that? I don't know. I'm an illusionist. You, you can't, I mean, I'm not going to tell. See, here's the thing. Illusions are a lot of fun and when you use them for entertainment. But here's the question, if our minds and our eyes can be tricked that easily into seeing something that's not there, why would we think our spirits are any different? In fact, if I ask you the question this morning, is there such a thing as a spiritual illusion? Well, of course there is. In fact, over and over in Scripture, Satan is called the great deceiver. He's, he's a, he's, he tricks us. He wants us to see something and he wants us to interpret it a certain way when behind the scenes something completely different is going on. Now, he uses a lot of illusions, and I can't go into all of them today, but there's one particular illusion. In fact, the title of my message is The Great Illusion. There's one illusion that he uses 
over and over again. And in fact, I'm going to focus on this one because it literally goes back almost to the beginning of time. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. And you can just, uh, it's, again, don't get any easier than that. First book of the Bible, just flip over four chapters and, and we'll start right there in Genesis chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to kind of, I want to kind of set the scene for you this morning. When you get to the beginning of chapter 4, Adam and Eve have been put out of, of the Garden of Eden. And in, and in fact, chapter 4 starts this way. Adam knew his wife, and, and she bore a son, and she named him Cain. And then he knew her again, and she had another son, and she named him Abel. By the way, if you read your Bible very carefully, the Bible never says they didn't have any other children. In fact, it's, it's not only likely, it's, it's almost necessary that they had other children, in fact, other daughters. But the Bible only points out Cain and Abel because that's who is important in that chapter or in this story. Now, if you go on and you read, and, and you'll find out it says, in the process of time, Cain and Abel bring an offering to God. Now, Abel is a shepherd, so these boys have grown up now, and he's a shepherd, so he brings animals. Now, Cain is a farmer, so he brings squash and cucumbers, right? So they, they bring these to God, and the Bible tells us that God accepted Abel's sacrifice of animals but he rejects Cain's squash and cucumbers. Now, Cain is not a nice guy. We'll find this out later on. Got a lot of problems. And what he should have done is he should have went to God and said, God, okay, you know, I messed up. Tell me what I do to need to make it right. But he doesn't. He gets angry. And like many of us, when we get angry at God, we can't take it out on him. So who do we take it out on? We take it out on those closest to us. And that's exactly what he did. He turns his anger away from God and he, and he focuses it on his brother. I believe it's in verse 8 if you read down. It tells us that one day he's talking to his brother. He convinces him to go out into the field. And while they're out there all by himself, he rises up and he kills his brother. Now God comes to Cain and he says, where's your brother? Now, just another aside here. God never asked a question to get information. You understand that? God already knows. He's asking the question to get us to think, to make us... He, what he wants Cain to do is confess what he's done. He wants him to repent. He wants, to, to, he wants him to get right. But Cain's not interested in that at all. He has no remorse for what he's done. In fact, his, his famous answer is, Am I my brother's keeper? Now, God is going to punish Cain... For what he's done, he's not going to kill him, but he's going to punish him. And we pick that up in verse 12, Genesis 4, 12. He tells him, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now that's important. I want you to remember that. God says, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now, Cain's a big whiner and he starts to whine. Oh, that's too much for me. Anybody that finds me is going to kill me. Now, by the way, he's not worried about people out there finding him. Who he's worried about is his family. It's his family that's going to come after him. That's what he's worried about, that his family is going to avenge the death of his brother. And he says, if they find me, they're going to kill me. And God says, all right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I think this is in verse 15. God says, I'm going to put a mark on you. And we don't know what this mark is. But he says, I'll put a mark on you. And if anybody finds you, they'll know not to mess with you. I'll protect you. Verse 16, it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord... And he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain, what I want you to see here, he's killed his brother. He has no remorse. He turns his back on God and he leaves. 
So he is no longer under the blessing of God. He, he has turned his back completely on God. Now in verse 17, we come to a very interesting verse. It says this, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Now, most people read that sentence, they don't get past the first four words. The first four words catch everybody, and they say, well, where did he get his wife from? Listen, we got a saying around my house, this ain't rocket science, okay? If you start with two people, somebody's going to marry their sister. There just ain't no way around that. You understand that? Everybody with me? Two people on a planet, two people on an island, whatever, if you're going to populate, somebody's going to marry their sister. They're just, that's just the way it is. There's no mystery there. So what, what has happened is during this time before Cain leaves, Adam and Eve have had other daughters. Cain has married one of them, and now when he turns his back on the Lord and he walks away, he takes her with him because there's nobody out there else for him to, to, to marry. So she eventually gets pregnant and she has a son. Now that's not what interests me about that verse. What interests me about the verse is another four words, he built a city. He built a city. Now let me tell you why that interests me. And because you may say, well, you know, that doesn't sound very interesting to me. Well, here's why it interests me. Do you remember what God said? Cain, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain says, oh, no, I'm not. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to build me a city. I'm going to settle down right here. I'll show you. Here's something else. Do you remember God says, when, when Cain complains, they're going to kill me. God says, don't worry about it. I'll protect you. I'll put a mark on you. And Cain says, you know what? Forget that, God. I'll protect myself. You see, in the Hebrew, the word city literally means a walled enclosure. Don't think of a city back then like Tallahassee or L.A. or New York or things like that. It literally means a few dwellings surrounded by a wall. And you know what the wall's for? It's for protection. So God has said, you're going to be a fugitive, but I'll protect you. And Cain says, oh, no, I'm not. I'll build me a city, and thank you very much. I'll protect myself. Now, here we are, and this is why this is interesting to me. When you look at what Cain did, there's no remorse, there's no repentance, and basically he just settles down into his rebellion. He said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to build me a city, and I'll settle right here. He settles into his rebellion. Now, here's a question. What do you think will happen to a man and his family who have turned their back on God and they literally are going to live every day in rebellion against the commands of God. What do you think will happen to him? And here's the shocker. He prospers. He prospers. Look at verses 18 and 19. We'll read on to his story. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujel, and Mahujel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Stop right there. I want to show you how sin and rebellion passes down through the generation. Cain has settled down in his city. He says, I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he begins to have children and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And finally, you come to a guy named Lamech. Now listen, we're only in the fourth chapter of Genesis. There's not a lot of commands out there, right? We haven't even gotten to Exodus there. The, the Ten Commandments don't even exist yet. There's not a lot of commands, but there's one. There's one. Therefore, 
a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Singular. Not plural. Wife. One man, one woman for life. And Lamech says, I'll take two of them. I don't care what you say, God. All this stuff about one man, one woman, I don't care about all that. Is everybody with me? I mean, this, this rebellion is just going down to the generations until you get to Lamech. Lamech's like, hey, if one's good, two must be better. Right? And he just, he, they're in complete rebellion against God. Let's keep reading. Genesis 4, 20-22. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Listen. I don't know if you understand what you're reading here, but this is absolutely amazing. They begin to grow their family, and they begin to just create these, these beneficial advancements for, um, for civilization. They create animal husbandry, which is the science of breeding and raising animals. One of the boys does that. Another one of the sons invents music. Listen, it's one thing to be able to even play a musical instrument, which I have no idea how to do. It's another thing to have the genius to be able to maybe write a composition. But do you understand what it takes to invent all of that out of nothing? To invent scales, to invent notes, to invent... These, these boys are geniuses. Another one, it goes on to say, uh, Tubal-Cain, he was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. But to get bronze and iron, you've got to invent mining. You've got to figure out how to get in the ground and get those things out so you can make these instruments. I mean, these kids are geniuses. And they're creating these advances in civilization that are just incredible. They're civilizing themselves. They're feeding themselves. They're clothing themselves. They're entertaining themselves. And all the while, they're thumbing their nose at God. All the while, we don't need you. We don't want anything to do with you. We'll do this on our own. And they just keep prospering. Now listen, doesn't that bother you? It bothers me. I mean, I want to say, he killed his brother. He turned his back on you. They're, they're ignoring your commands. Why don't you deal with that, God? Why are you letting them just thumb, your, thumb their nose at you like that? Put him in his place. You see, if that bothers us, we're actually in good company because that has bothered men in the Bible for thousands of years. I want to read a couple of scriptures. One is from Job. Job 21, 7 through 14. It's a little, little bit long. It's 14, uh, about seven verses, but I want to read it to you. This is Job talking. He said this, Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. They make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity, and they go down to the grave in peace. And yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. By the way, Job, when he writes this, if you're, by the way, Job is a godly man. He's trying to follow God. He's lost, all of his, he's lost his home. All of his children have been killed. He's got sores covering his body, and he's got a wife nagging the mess out of him, telling him to kill himself. And he looks across the valley, and there's a man over there who wants nothing to do with God. 
And Job says, why, why, what's going on? Why is he all the... No, you're not doing anything to him. And Job doesn't understand this. Later on in, in, the, in Psalms, there's a man by the name of Asaph, and this bothers him so bad. It bothers him so bad, he nearly loses his faith. Psalm 73, 1 through 3, this is Asaph. He said this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. In other words, I almost lost my faith. Verse 3, why? Because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, Job looks around and he sees men like Cain who are prospering. And it looks like God is, is he's just letting them go. And he can't figure it out. And then Asaph looks over and he sees the same thing. And he even goes further. Not only does it bother him, he's jealous. He looks over and says, God, then I'm trying to follow you. And they, that guy, he don't care anything about you. He got more money than I got. And he drives a nicer car than I drive. And look at the house he lives in. I can't, I can't live in that kind of house. And man, I wish I had that property. And you know what really bothers me, God? His kids are better looking than mine. <laughs> and they're smarter than mine. And they're more athletic than mine. And he's just prospering away. And here I am over here struggling. See, both of those men, by the way, righteous, godly men, both of them struggled with that. Why? Because it's an illusion. See, it's an illusion, and sometimes it can even fool godly people and righteous people. See, we look over there sometimes, and we, all we see is the outside. That's all we see. And like Job said, it looks like the rod of God is not on them. They're not having any problems, and they're just prospering. And all we can see is the outside. But listen, God doesn't see the way we see. God sees things differently. In fact, let me, to show you that, I want to go back to the story of Cain. And I want to show you something in this, in this chapter. You see, when you go back to Cain, Cain's story is kind of like this cup. See, when you look at the story of Cain, and you, and you see it the certain way, it looks like God has forgotten about judgment. And in fact, it almost looks now, it almost looks like God is blessing him and his family. You see, it looks like that, but it's not. See, it's an illusion. Yeah, listen, Cain's making a lot of progress. He's in, his family's inventing things and creating things and all of this, but listen, it's all outside stuff. It's all earthly stuff. It's all temporary stuff. But on the inside, his heart is not changed at all. And here's the thing about Cain. Every day that goes by, and his family's growing, and they're prospering, he's getting more wealth and more power, and every day that goes by, and, and judgment doesn't come, he gets more and more and more settled and more comfortable in his rebellion. And he looks around and says, you know, that, that, I guess God's forgot about me. I'll just... In fact, he might even start thinking this way, you know, as good as I got it, maybe, maybe God's pleased with me. Maybe this is the blessing of God. He forgot about all that stuff I did. See, but again, God doesn't see things the way we see things. Now, to show you this, I want you to look at the last two verses of the chapter. The very last two verses of the chapter. Here, the Holy Spirit does something 
And I say the Holy Spirit because He inspired this. He does something. Verses 24 to 25, and I want you to see what it says. It says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, you, you have another brother born. You got Cain, who's over here. He's, he's away from the Lord. He's living in rebellion. Doesn't care what God wants. He's passing that rebellion down to, his, to all of his generations. And then there's another brother born, a man by the name of Seth. And Seth, it says this funny thing there, from that point on, with the birth of Seth, people begin to call on the name of the Lord. Now, in verse, I believe it's 24, story about Cain ends. And from the last two verses of the chapter on into chapter 5 is all about Seth. Now, if you go read about Seth, you will never hear one, one thing that he built anything, or he invented anything, or he created anything. You don't hear anything like that. The only thing we are told about Seth and his family is they called upon the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but you don't see God is setting us up a contrast here between two brothers, between two families. One of them is making all kind of progress in the temporary. The other one is interested in making progress in the eternal. One of them is all about earthly advancements. The other one is all about eternal, heavenly advancements. One of them's line in verse 24, the lineage of Cain will end and you'll never hear from him again. The other one brings forth Jesus Christ himself. See, folks, this is your choice. This is our choice. We are all in one of those two. We're all about this world. We're just like Cain. I don't need you, God. I can handle this. And you may prosper but it's all temporary. It's all like a vapor, like sand that just goes through your fingers. And Seth, we're never told, man, he, he invented this or he built that. It says one thing, he called on the name of the Lord. Now you tell me which one is really blessed. Now, that's the end of that story. Here's the question this morning. What does this story mean for you and I? Romans 15.8, I'm sorry, 15.4 tells us that those Old Testament stories are written to teach us. They're not just there, they're there for a reason. They're there to teach us. So what do we learn from this story of Cain? Well, there's a few things we can learn. Number one, as Christians, we, need, we don't need to judge based on the outside. You know, I, I see this all the time. We try to put God in a box and say it's always got to be this way. But it doesn't work that way. Just look around. Reality is not God in a box. You'll see Christians who die young, and you'll see atheists who live in their 90s. I don't get that. And sometimes it's the other way around. God's not in a nice little box. It just doesn't work that way. This is all temporary anyway, so we shouldn't judge based on the outside. As Christians, it teaches us that we shouldn't be envious of temporary things. In fact... If we look at people who don't know God and we're envious of them, what that tells us is there's probably something wrong with our heart, that we want things more than we want God. But here's the third thing, and this is the one I want to focus on for just a few minutes. It tells us that just... Be and listen to me very carefully. It tells us that just because things are going good in our life doesn't mean that God is pleased with us. 
By the way, the opposite is true. Look at Job. Just because things sometimes are falling apart doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. But just because things are all going great doesn't necessarily mean that God is pleased with us. I want to go back for a moment to that guy Asaph. You remember him? He was the guy that said, hey, man, I looked over there and I, I saw those people and, and they're all they're flourishing and I got jealous of them. I couldn't figure it all out. He said, I almost lost my faith. Well, it turns out that he didn't lose his faith. It turns out something happened to him. He saw something with his eyes that changed his mind. I want to read this to you. This is Psalm 73, 16 through 19. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, and what he means by that, he's saying, I'm, I'm thinking this through, right? Godly people are over here, and some of them are suffering and going, and then I see these, these people who don't want anything to do with God, and they're prospering. And he says, I, I thought, I'm trying to think this through, and he says, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Now, if we put that in modern English, he would say something like, look, I thought my brain was going to explode, right? Or I, I was pulling my hair out. I could not figure this thing out. Then he says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned or understood their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, and you make them fall to ruin. You know what he says? He says, I couldn't figure it out till I went to church. I couldn't figure that out until I went to church. Now, here's what you got to understand about Asaph. The church that he went in was not like this. It wasn't an air-conditioned building with carpet and padded seats and, and instruments and technologies and soundboards and lights and all of that. It wasn't like that. The sanctuary that he went into was a place of knives and blood and gore and death and violence. You see, the sanctuary he went into was a sanctuary where they were slitting the throats of animals and spilling their blood to cover the sins of the people. And he said, when I went in there and I saw that, I remembered, oh yeah, judgment is always coming. The payday is going to come. In other words, what he remembers is this life isn't all there is. It's not just about this life. And, 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 and sin always has to be accounted for. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card, is what Asaph is saying. Blood has to be shed. The blood of an innocent must be shed to cover the sins of the guilty. See, he remembered this life is not the whole story. Several weeks ago, I had to go out of town on business, and um, I like to uh, check my bag. I don't, have, I don't like to have to worry about it, dragging it through airports and getting on a plane and wondering if I got enough space in the overhead. So I usually check my bag. So I get there to the Delta counter, and... Uh, I uh, was standing in line there, and there was two ladies ahead of me. And I just glanced at them, and one of them was probably, at first glance, looked to be like in her 60s. And the other lady uh, was much older. I would say probably mid to late 80s, probably maybe even into her 90s. And um, I'm standing there, and they're kind of talking, and I heard them talking. And, and, and you could pretty quickly figure out that one, the younger one was the daughter, and the older one was the mother. And um, so they're talking and everything. And the first thing you noticed about this old lady was how, how, just how much good health she was in. I mean, she was very spry. She was very energetic. You could tell by her conversations with her daughter that her mind was sharp. And I, I mean, you just couldn't help notice. I mean, you say, wow, man, she is in really good shape for, for her age. And so the Delta agent asked them, uh, where are y'all going? And uh, the daughter said, well, we're taking Mama to Biloxi. Hallelujah. Taking Mama to Biloxi to gamble. 
And, and, and be honest with you, I, I was on my phone, and I'm kind of listening to them, and I've glanced at them, but I'm, I wasn't really paying attention. They're going to Biloxi, that's fine. And then I heard the Delta agent say something. And by the way, what she said is what triggered this sermon. In fact, by the time I got on the plane and got off the plane, this sermon was already pretty much had, been, had written itself. And this is what she said. She looked at that old woman, and she said, My, how God has blessed you. My, how God has blessed you. And I heard that, and the first thing in my mind, I said, Really? Listen, I debated whether to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Do you ever do that, Henry? Debate whether you ought to say things? You just say it anyway. Listen, God help me. God help me. If I'm 90 years old and able to, and got that kind of energy and that kind of mind, and all I'm going to do with it is go to Biloxi and gamble. God help me. See, listen, folks. God doesn't see things the way we do. See, how much money somebody's got or what kind of house they live in or what kind of car they drive or even how long they live. In the end, none of that matters. It's just a vapor. It's dust. It means absolutely nothing. All that matters is in the end is did you call on the name of the Lord or did you not? That's it. That's all God looks at. Did you call on the name of the Lord like Seth or did you do it on your own like Cain? Which one are you? It's one or the other. There is no middle ground. There's no option uh, C. There's no door number three. You either call on the name of the Lord or you be like Cain and you do it on your own. See, that's all that matters is do you know Christ? See, we look at all the outside stuff and try to make these assumptions and these judgments, but it just doesn't work that way. I was thinking as I close this sermon in a in a building like this with however many people are here today, there's got to be people in here today that are not believers. And this is what I mean by that. When I say you're not a believer, what I'm saying is you don't know God. You don't really know Him. And you know down deep that's true. In fact, you'll probably leave here today, and and if truth be told, you won't give Him another thought until maybe next Sunday. He he won't even be on your mind during the week. You You don't read your Bible. You don't try to find out about him or learn about him. You don't talk to him in prayer unless something just really goes bad wrong and you need his help. But you just don't, you don't have a relationship with him. And you surely don't go throughout the, the week trying to live up according to his commands. You, you, the fact is, you don't know him. But here's the thing. You're doing well. You're doing well. You got a good job. And you're paying the bills and, 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 and your career is advancing and your family seems to be doing pretty good and, and your kids are all healthy and they're, and they're smart and, and, and you look pretty good. See, basically what you've done is you've built a city like Cain. You've settled in and you said, God, I, I can take care of this. I can feed myself and clothe myself and entertain myself. I really don't need you. I'm, I'm doing just fine. And like Cain... You settled into your rebellion. But here's the thing, folks. Every day that goes by, every day that goes by with no judgment is one more day where you just get more comfortable and more comfortable and more comfortable in your sin and in your rebellion. But I need to remind you of something here today, and I need to be very clear. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The payday is coming. God doesn't forget God doesn't forget. He didn't forget about Cain. 
and He doesn't forget about you and I. The fact is, He sent His Son to this earth to shed His innocent blood to cover my sins and to cover your sins. And every one of us sitting here have a choice, just like Cain did and just like Seth did. Do we call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? Or do we reject Him and do it ourselves? Galatians 6, 6 through 6-8 says this, Do not be deceived. In other words, don't believe the illusion. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to your own flesh, if you live this world for the flesh and for the worldly pursuits, you may prosper and make advances and all of those kind of things. But in the end, it says you will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then like Asaph said, you are in a very slippery place. See, that's what Asaph realizes. It's like you're, you're, st- you're standing there and it looks, everything looks okay. I'm doing well. But Asaph said you're in a slippery place because you can go down at any moment and it's all over. I want to ask Pastor Henry to come here in just a second as I pray. And he's going to give an invitation. And, and I pray that if you're on that slippery place, that before you leave here today, you'll set your feet on solid ground. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.